Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. I saw these people in the, um, Melbourne Central about a year ago who really bullied me and they were asking me what I was doing. They actually asked me if I moved down to work at Kmart because like, I used to work at Kmart when I, was, <laughs> when I was at uni. And they said, oh, did you come down and work at Kmart here? And I said, no. I'm a, I said, I have I'm, my master's. Yeah, I have my master's. <laughs> and, I, and I'm a writer. And they're like, oh, what are you writing? I said, I'm writing a book. And I said, I'm writing a book about being bullied. Why <laughs> <laughs> <By> you? <laughs> it just went over their head. Yeah. Uh. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless. This week, Zara and I are joined by Carly Finlay, a media personality with a unique story and voice. Most people would introduce Carly as a disability advocate, but in truth, she is so much more than that. She's an author, a podcaster, and a generally really wonderful human being. For those unaware, Carly has a genetic condition called ichthyosis, which changes the appearance and texture of her skin. It's Carla's experience with ichthyosis that has made her a passionate advocate for disability awareness and visibility. Here's Carly. Carly, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on the book as well. We Thank had you. we posted about our book on our Instagram stories and we had a lot of messages of people saying, are you interviewing Carly? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been very exciting. I got my big box of books today. Oh, amazing. <gasps> I saw on Instagram you were doing that thing where you, every time you got a, a, a parcel from the book publisher, you're yeah. like, is it my book? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't. Like, I thought the first one was my book. Yeah, but it was someone <laughs> book. And uh, Australia Post was very kind in filming me. Oh, um, My podcast co-host, Jason, said he thinks the winner of this whole situation is Australia Post in that they don't have to film me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> opening passports. That's true. And great publicity for Australia Post, know, always right? getting on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and also um, good publicity for the other authors. They all had a laugh at it. Yeah, that's a great point. Carly, we start every interview in the same way, and that Mm. is, what have you been reading, watching, and listening to this week? Uh, Yeah, so I have just finished Troll Hunting Mm. by Ginger Gorman, 
was nice. incredible. Yeah, she's an incredible journalist, and she wrote about um, cyber hate. And she interviewed me for troll hunting. Actually, um, there's a funny story in the book. She um, mentions it in the book um, that we were at the same conference together a couple of years ago, and I was pretty sore. And I said to her, um, "I'm going to be in my pajamas. If that's all right, come up to my hotel room." So she brought her pajamas too, oh. and then my mum was there. And mum ordered room service and got wine and pizza, and we had like a pajama party. But then I was left with the bill. (laughs) Anyway, it was really fun and that book is amazing. Ginger does a really great job in talking about hard issues in quite a a light way. So is it quite conversational? Does she interview trolls as well? Yeah. She actually forms a friendship with one of the trolls. Wow. Um, And then she has an ongoing kind of relationship with a few of the trolls and that's really uneasy. Like just, it's really creepy. Yeah. I think we need to get onto that one, It's really, really great. I think it's out in February. Okay. So, yeah. And what about podcasts? Are you interested um, in podcasts? Yeah, I love podcasts. I've been listening to Broken Hearts. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and I've been trying to avoid crime podcasts because mm. I think that they perpetuate violence against women um, a lot. So I, I pr- if I do listen to the crime podcast, and I, I haven't given up entirely, I listen mm. to Trace by the ABC because I think that's really ethically made and that, that's really incredible. But um, Big Hearts is a collaboration between Glamour and... Um, I don't know, We Heart Radio, I think. Um, and it's about a family who um, were most, were, were all like, the, the children were all um, black American children who were adopted by two white women. And outwardly on their social media, they would, um, the white women would say, Black Lives Matter, and we're doing our best to um, build communities for, for, our, for our children. Um, but there was an apparent murder suicide in 2018, in, in April, where the women drove the children off the cliffs and all of them died um, and it's come to light that these children were abused and not nothing that they would put outwardly on social media reflected the reality of it and so I think they've found the bodies of um, four of the children and two of them are still missing but it's incredible um, one of the one of the things that I'm really interested in is hearing about the white saviorism mm. in this and like they've addressed it they're two white women um, doing the podcast the podcast is the two white women and th- th- they're probably not the best people to talk about black representation and community so they've got a lot of black people to talk about things and it's really really interesting so I r- highly recommend it I've seen that in the charts but I just yeah. had no, I didn't know what it was about. Broken I hearts. think it's a really fascinating story. The family is the heart family, H A R T. So yeah. One thing that really caught my attention when I was reading your book was your discussion of race, mm-hmm. because your mum is a woman of colour and yeah. your dad is Caucasian, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I found it so interesting when you were discussing the fact that your skin is red yeah. by the fact that you have a skin condition called ichthyosis. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to elaborate a bit on that for us, that identity yeah. with race? Yeah, so I've, I, I guess when I was younger, um, you know, my, my arms are very, um, are not very red at all. They're just, they just look quite unattained. Um, and I would ask kids if my skin wasn't red, would you think it would be black or white? Because my parents, are, and, and they'd always say, oh, white, white, of course, because, you know, it's bad to be black, especially in a, uh, it's not bad to be black, but they thought <laughs> no, it was bad to be black in a, in a small town like I grew up in um, and they never they never imagined that there was a possibility I could be black because my mother's black um, they you know that I guess they, they saw white as the superior race and I I didn't really particularly grow up with a lot of um, South African people around me but we did go to Melbourne and Sydney a lot where we had um, South African friends so I had that influence but I think my my growing up was very 
very Australian, mm. very white. And so I hadn't really explored the idea of being a woman of colour until recently. But then I got asked to write a couple of pieces on race and identity and um, I um, have written for Growing Up African in Australia. So, What were yeah. you like as a kid? What was your personality um, like? I think I was pretty loud. Like I was often told to be quiet, <laughs> <laughs> to be quiet a lot. I mean... Now I'm a speaker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think I was um, I was also a bit frustrated that children didn't want, want to be friends with me. Um, you know, that I wanted to... I couldn't quite articulate what I needed to teachers. Like, if I needed not to be in the sun while people were playing sport, um, because I didn't identify as disabled then, I couldn't say, well, I really need this and it's fair, not fair of you to leave me in the sun when I'm needing just to go in the library. So I couldn't really articulate that because I didn't really have that identity. Also, I had really short hair, really, really short hair. One of the symptoms of ichthyosis is um, hair breakage and I'd often have these patches on my head and um, these kind of lopsided pigtails and stuff and I didn't like I, I didn't like being mistaken for a boy and then teased because I was red and also I just um, I wanted to be more feminine, I think, you know, like I, I didn't want something else to be different about me. I just wanted long hair. I think my doctor, George, who he's still my doctor, he he said in my file when I was in hospital, very very young, my goal in life was to have long hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually quite good now. It's actually, you know, I do, I do image descriptions on my photos. Yeah, and yeah, people yeah. are saying I need to because I describe myself as a woman with a red face and short, dark, curly hair. People said I have to change the short, dark, curly hair bit. Yeah, it's not <laughs> short anymore. Long hair, dark, short. curly hair. Carly, I was going to ask you about those image descriptions because yeah. I've seen you and, and a few other people and that I feel like. I was going to say, yeah. we didn't even ask any about that last week, but we um, intended to. Mm-hmm. It, where did that? Where was that born from and, and what is the idea behind it for people on social media yeah. and why would you encourage anyone else to do the same? Yeah, so image descriptions are just a, a description of the image. So um, if I was to describe how I look now as I sit down here, I would say woman with red face, which is factual, and people often go off at me for describing myself as a woman with a red face but I'm like but that's factual it's not offensive <laughs> how um, dare you own your own description yeah, as well exactly, exactly. Um, yeah so woman with red face short dark curly hair um, wearing colourful clothes sitting in front of a microphone um, so it's as simple as that um, and it, it's for people who cannot see um, or use screen read and or use screen readers um, which like read out what, what is happening on the screen um, so when you're making a website or um uploading a picture to a news site for example there's an alt text option so the alt text is a version of that image description so when people hover their mouse over or highlight the alt text um, that can either um, show the alt text on the screen or they can hear it with their screen reader Um, I decided to do it because I identify as disabled and a lot of my audience is disabled as well so I don't want to alienate them and I reckon I've been doing that for about a year now constantly and I used to do it for a job that I worked in and I thought, well, I may as well do it on my own social media. I don't do it for everything because sometimes I don't have time. And actually, I was pretty disappointed when I was on holidays. I was trying not to do activism and someone complained about my image description and I just thought, well, I'm doing it anyway. I'm on holidays and it's actually not my job to do it all the time on, <laughs> you know, Mm-hmm. Isn't that a classic case of, of not doing everything perfectly? You know, you do yeah, one yeah. good thing and then people, oh, you know, yeah. the bar is so high yes. all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, and, and that that's, yeah, I've written about that in my book as well, yeah. you know, like 
um, I think when you write something on social media, you're accountable for that for the rest of your life. And yeah, oh, yeah. and it is people assume it's your entire identity that mm-hmm. activism might be your entire identity. Mm. Does it feel? I mean, you did discuss a little bit. We've seen you discuss on your blog as well that it is a bit fatiguing writing this memoir, and it obviously requires a lot of you and to open up a lot yeah. about your life and invite people in. Mm. How did you navigate those feelings and how are you feeling now that the book's out and you're doing publicity rounds, you're speaking to people like us? How are you coping um, with that? Yeah, yeah, it was really fatiguing actually. It was like it's, it's such a big job and I did it on top of my job mm. as well. Like I so said, I have a part-time job and then I do writing and speaking as well. So that makes it a full-time job and then I was doing my book on top of that and it was really a lot of work. Um, it took two years to do, not entire, you know, some of us waiting to get edits back or whatever. And there was, I work at Melbourne Fringe, so um, the festival is in September. And there was one round of edits, which was quite big, that I did, the, I did the whole edits in, um, like wrote the whole third draft, the re- next draft in, um, in festival time. <laughs> that was oh, oh my god! Oh my gosh, that was a bit silly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was hard to sort of draw on things like from you know my childhood that I might not have wanted to think about for a while or even thinking about how I could have done something better how I wasn't a particularly nice person then or reflecting on that stuff um, and also um, uh, one of the hard one of the really hard things has been like the tall poppy syndrome mm. which has been quite yucky and unexpected as well I think that there's an idea amongst marginalised groups that there's only enough pie for one person but you know there's enough pie for everyone I read I think it was on your blog and I Mm -hmm. I really loved this quote I think a friend had told you that in order to create change you sort of have to have one foot in the margins and one foot in the mainstream tell us about your experience with that yeah well I mean uh, an ex-friend told me that I can either be mainstream or do activism I can't do both and 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 I guess from then um I felt really pushed out and I felt like I was made to choose and I don't speak to those people anymore. Um, Some of it through my choice, most of it not. Um, And it's been really, really hard, lonely, really lonely and, um, you know, I I guess that they think my work's problematic because they don't... I'm not doing it in a certain way and um, people... I think some some disabled people don't want you to win awards or don't want you to have mainstream success. But but then what are we fighting for? You know, I'm getting paid. I'm in the mainstream. That's what everyone has been fighting for. And I also don't want to take over someone else's voice. I want to put voices forward. And I've tried to do that in my book, in interviewing people and, um, you know, showcasing other voices. There's a whole list of people at the back that people can refer to. Um, And I've said that this is just my opinion. It's not everyone else's. I think as well, when it comes to activism, it's all well and good to say don't go mainstream but if we just speak to the same corners of the world Mm -hmm. and we all stay in our little areas Mm -hmm. we're never educating anyone we're never reaching anyone who disagrees with us and that's so dangerous and just almost pointless if you're Mm -hmm. never going to speak to anyone outside and try and spread awareness Mm -hmm. what is the point yeah yeah i agree um you can't get in that bubble of um yeah, you can't get in that bubble. In the book, there's a there's a great part where you talk about the media's treatment of disabled people and in particular how shows like Embarrassing Bodies mm-hmm. or whatever it might be use shock value for entertainment. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience like with what you sometimes call the exploitative media? Yeah, I there was a while, uh, for a while, uh, not recently because I tell everyone to fuck off. Um, <laughs> that but, is the correct way to go about things. <laughs> but there was, a, there, there was a, a period probably for a about three years, I would say, that everyone or 
two months, I would get a request to go on an exploitative show um, like Body Bazaar or Embarrassing Bodies or Medical Incredible or some show. And, and it would all be, it would be pe- weird people like on Instagram, hey, I'm a journalist and I follow you and you're so inspirational and we want to show you, we want to raise awareness. And so I've always said no. And, and I've developed this series of questions which are in the book and I send them back. And the questions are things like, you know, do you pay? Will, will you zoom in on my skin and, and make it awkward? How do you speak about disability? Do you have a disabled narrator? Are you able to get me to narrate it? Can I put this on my blog? You know, so then they don't know what to say and then I get like no response back. But I know a lot of people with ichthyosis, skin conditions, um, facial differences and other disability who think that awareness raising is absolute key, especially the parents, and they just put their kids forward on these shows. And... I think the problem is twofold because it's the show that's exploitative with the title and the content. Embarrassing bodies sets the tone. Absolutely, you know, already. such a disgraceful know, headline when you, like awful. or title when you think about um, it. And also um, uh, the commentary around it is is problematic. So um, when when my and I wrote about this in the book, a, a friend um, put her son on a show by Barcroft Media, and the comments were awful. And I hope that that little boy never has to see them. And I wrote to Barcroft and I said, how can you be so responsible? You're raising awareness and trying to do a good story, but you're leaving these comments up telling this, telling, like, telling this little boy that he should be dead. So that, that's really problematic. And I actually don't have a lot of respect for parents that put their children on social media for the point of awareness raising and then go to mainstream media. There's a little girl in America at the moment who has ichthyosis and her mum is putting her on every single news outlet out there. Every time my Google alert for ichthyosis comes up, she's on there again and she gets the most horrendous comments. And when I've reached out to her to say, hey, I think your little girl deserves some privacy and the choice to tell her story, I've been blocked. Really? When you send those questions to the network or the journalist, are they? Do you ever have any intention of going on the show at all, or is it just for the purpose of um, putting them back in their place? Putting them back in yeah. their place. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty selective with what you know, what sort of media I do. And I was saying in another interview, actually, um, when when I was um, so this sorry, that, and this is a tangent. My my photo got misused on Reddit, which is you can read about in the book. Mm. But I had a lot of media contact me that I don't I don't want to deal with. You know, I don't usually want to deal with like Daily a, Mail. Daily Mail. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to be anonymous um, about this or are we going to name the shape? <laughs> and, and they, to be honest, they, um, you know, I said no, I don't want any, I don't want an article. They wrote it anyway. Um, and the comments were probably the nicest out of all of the comments. Really? Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Um, and when um, last year when I had an, a difficult interview uh, with, with the, an ABC host, I had heaps of media contact me. Like it was, it was you know a lot. And I chose on the advice of my agent to do two two interviews. I did the project and I did the uh, the age, and uh, but the other people it was very. I think actually the Daily Mail did email me and uh, or message me on Facebook, and I just had a real standard response. Like this is the photo I want to be. I want used. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll have a like I had a one sentence or something that I said to all of these people instead of giving them a big interview. And then I think the Daily Mail email messaged me back going, oh, we've chosen this photo from your Facebook. I said, no, you can use this photo or nothing. And they did. (laughs) And they did follow that? Yeah. 
This is new. I think, but um, <laughs> after, the, the power you hold over the day, <laughs> well, uh, no, there, there was something better that happened actually. After you can't ask that, I did you can't ask that, which yeah. is a series of questions, a show about you know with a series of questions um, that people ask me, and um, so that showed the taboo kind of things that were asked. And the day after that, um, there was a heap, heap of media, and I did an article for Daily Life, and, um, and then that was reprinted, I think, in some Fairfax papers. But the Daily Mail did this article on those people that were on the Facial Difference episode and there was one woman who was burnt in a fire and she said that um, like her, the, one of the quotes was completely taken out of context and you know that was used as a headline about it like she said that she doesn't own a camera and I think that might be because of her age I don't think that's because of her appearance but they, the Daily Mail implied that she doesn't own a camera because mm-hmm. she can't handle how she looks. She's so ashamed of yeah. herself or yeah, something. Yeah. And so they used my photo and they used some other people's photos and under the under the caption of the photo uh, under yeah under the caption under the photo rather said um Carly's photo was misused on Reddit and then I said Carly's photo has now been misused on the Daily Mail <laughs> and the journalist that wrote it had followed me on Twitter the night before and I was up quite late following the commentary around it. So she could have asked me for permission. She could have asked me. Instead, she took all these photos off my social media and put them in there. So the next morning, I tweeted them and I said, um, you know, you've used my photo without permission, you've taken it, and then you've done this caption that my photo was used without permission. And then someone messaged me to give me the details of some editors. And so I rang one of the editors and I said, hey, um, so I went on this show last night and it was about how my... I, I talked about how my photo's been misused and now you have take my photo down immediately and they did oh, amazing <laughs> you must be the only person in Australia who can make Daily Mail do anything good next time anything happens we know who we're calling um, <laughs> I, I can tell you oh gosh oh, I will tell you this it's yeah, funny um, my, I went out the other night and had some drinks I wasn't particularly drunk but one of my one of my friends was drunk and he was there with his male partner so he's gay and he was asking me about um, my Vaseline and how it would affect whether it would make his lips soft or something and, it, and he was progressively getting drunk and, and he asked me to kiss him to see whether what effect this would have on his lips. Anyway, and someone took a photo and I'm like, God, don't, don't leak that to the devil now. <laughs> no, they'll be looking for it now. I know, right? <laughs> um, before when you were talking about Twitter and you said sometimes, you know, I was reading the commentary around that particular appearance on You Can't Ask That. Mm-hmm. Do you follow commentary about yourself and, and what's what's to. that like? Um, sometimes. Uh I think it, I think it's draining, and I think so. When the interview on the ABC happened last year, the commentary on Twitter was incredible, and I just saw things turn around so much. People recognised what ableism was and things. But I actually didn't read any Facebook comments. If people had tagged me in something, I I had stopped comments on my blog because I was getting some quite hateful ones actually. But um, I didn't, and that was making me a bit better but yeah I did um, read them uh, for a long time and I'd argue back I'm, uh, you know and uh, sometimes if they're particularly nasty I'd call someone's employer really mm-hmm. that's so interesting because I think you are very vocal on social media I mean it's a big part of your activism yeah do you get drained by that yeah. not just the activism but but having to use social media as its sort of yeah. vehicle it's also yeah. like if that's your work being able yeah. to switch off yeah. from that when social media is so prevalent you can't really and even like when I've been trolled you know horrendously you know when I've had death threats or rape threats um the police would just say I just switch off no I can't and they don't understand they don't like that's a lot of what Ginger's um book's about so yeah it's it's it is tiring um I should get someone to um monitor it sometimes but mm. I mean I haven't really 
you know, people check in on me, people that know what it's like check in. But um, it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird beast, isn't it? After the break, Carly talks about the emotional labour that comes with doing what she does and the women who inspire her the most. But first, a word from our sponsors. Before you touched on the idea that people call you inspirational, mm-hmm. and in the book you have a whole chapter on what you called inspiration porn, which mm-hmm. I love that term. And I that think term it, was coined by Stella Young. Mm, sorry, yeah. Stella Young coined that term, who yeah. was a massive influence on your work mm. and one of the reasons you wrote the book as well. Mm-hmm. What I really found interesting was the discussion of the able-bodied gaze. Mm. Would you be able to talk a bit mm-hmm. to that? So I think it's when people without disability, so non-disabled people, um, look at us as an object of pity or inspiration or uh, an example of, well, if Carly can get out of bed looking like she does, then what am I complaining about? You know, people often use disabled people to put their lives in perspective, which is really hard. You know, a lot of people will say to me or, or about other people, oh, I'm just so lucky. <laughs> like, not, not I'm lucky, they're lucky not to have this condition or, um, you know, oh, it gives me so much perspective about what I can do and they, they often make, make it on put themselves at the centre of everything. (laughs) So there there is that. Um, And I also think that there's the idea of... um like being a bit wowed by doing ordinary things. Stella says in her TED talk about inspiration porn that people who are using adaptive equipment or calipers on their legs or, you know, drawing with their mouth because they don't have a hand, they're not doing extraordinary things. They've come to adapt their bodies to do the best that they can. So I think that... People without not non-disabled people just need to ha- get a new perspective that we're mm. not here. Then we're not your teachable moment. We're not here to make you feel better about yourself. Yeah, because I mean, th- there's people that have said to me, "Oh, I couldn't handle looking like you," or um, "If I was um, like you, I'd kill myself." And you know, the, that projection of their own fear around difference and disability is very telling. It's not. That it's not about me it's about them yeah completely someone sent that to me on a date once what that was awkward said it to you on a date <laughs> yeah this great way to start a date <laughs> did you just get up and go <laughs> no i didn't i think you're so lovely <laughs> I, I, I probably would have now yeah yeah i, I how didn't. do you deal with so <laughs> in those moments particularly as you're growing up because i imagine now that you are married and you've gone through a lot of life i guess you're a bit older mm-hmm. but when you're younger, it must have been really hard to mm. deal with that stuff, mm. especially as a teenager yeah, or in your 20s, yeah. going on dates and hearing that from men. Yeah. How did you learn to deal with it? Mm. Um, I, I was trying, like, my parents always used to teach me to be really matter of fact, like, I was born like this, it's not contagious, or I'm not, you know, don't worry about me, kind of thing. Um, so that was useful. And then I think there's this expectation that we shouldn't get angry, that we should just take it, that we should be polite, that we should be a teachable moment to everyone. And, and you know, I've had people say, um, when I've written about this stuff and how I deal with ableism, and if I'm rude, if I tell someone to fuck off, which I sometimes do, um, people will say, <laughs> well, maybe that was their only experience of someone with disability. And then they'll never want to speak to a disabled person again. And I'm like, but that's not my problem. That's their problem. Like so, you're responsible to educate the entire well, world despite them being all ignorant I had, fuckwits. <laughs> I had a person um, at, at the start of last year email me, on message me on Facebook. And I, from her photo, I, I'd say she was a lot older than me. She might have been in her 50s or 60s. And she said, um, uh, my mother has always told me to look away from someone with a facial difference. But you say that we should say hello. What, what, what should, you know, what should I do? Anyway, so I had a lot going on in that, on that weekend. So that was about, I don't know, 
11 o'clock on a Friday night. It was quite late and I did not respond. And I had a, I was thinking about it, you know, thinking about a response and thinking that this would be useful for the book. And then the next morning, I know the next night at about the same time, she says, well, given you didn't reply, I know your answer. I am never going to look at or talk to anyone with a facial difference again. Oh, my God. And it was... So rude. I think I wrote about it in the book. And I just said to I, I said to her, you know, it's, it's not my job to make you be a better person. Like, I'm not so the much instructor of how you should behave. It's such a mental and emotional load to carry mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. simply by existing, mm-hmm. you need to help other people mm-hmm. get better all the time. Yeah. And even on, on Twitter this morning, there was this great hashtag called Things Disabled People Know, and I was taking part in it, and I said something about, like, the the use of the word, like, the use of disability as identity, and, I've oh, my God, I've had so many people tell me off, and, and I've learnt this, and this is what I, you know, this is what I think, and... I, I said, you know, just shut up and listen. And there was this person who um, said something like, oh, I was told I shouldn't use people with disability. And I gave them a couple of examples. And I said, oh, and also Google, not just me. And then they said, this is what I get when I Google. And then someone else joined in the conversation, a prominent author. And he and she goes, you be you, go be a ham sandwich. <laughs> like, fuck off. And I actually wrote back and I said, you are so rude. We've taken the time to educate you about our identity and you've told us to go be a ham sandwich. That's bizarre. People, when people go on the internet, yeah, they become just... Oh, no. It's even bad. like, and, uh, just to, as a <laughs> parallel, it's like the violence against women thing. Yesterday we posted something from Clementine Ford about mm-hmm. feminism, violence against women and a murder that occurred this week. Mm. And a man responded saying, well, if you were less patronising towards men, maybe we would listen to you and why do you come at us and he accuse said, us of X, Y and Z? He said, um, have you ever thought of supporting somebody who has these tendencies? No. As if like No, I absolutely have not. <laughs> as if it's somehow our fault that you're an asshole. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I'm really tired, <laughs> really tired. Yeah. And actually, my editor asked me to write more on emotional labour in the book. Mm. <laughs> I wrote back, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm too much emotional labour. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. And just doing that is emotional labour. And I sent her a picture of Hannah Gadsby saying, I identify as tired. And I just have this as a chapter. <laughs> do you think, I mean, when you talk, I, I think a conversation we don't have around activism enough is the mm. longevity of it. I mean, mm. how long do you think you're going to need to take breaks to sort mm. of not be as tired? Or how long do you see yeah, this know. is a? I've been thinking about this a while. Like, yeah. Because now I used to have well, I used to have a full time job at the government, and so and then my activism work is very separate. And now my activism work is very much a full time job because I work for Melbourne Fringe as an access and inclusion coordinator, and I do writing and speaking, and I'm constantly t- retelling my story. And I, I wonder how long. I don't know, but I also think that I have. Um, there's a lot of. Uh, content that I have developed that is useful and I am pretty tired of having to keep resharing that like you know people can just use Google Um, but I do hope that you know the legacy that I leave is is the content online and the constant like the amount the amount of it is will be useful for people Mm. Mm. for sure and when you said I mean I know when we were talking about you growing up and you said it for a long time you didn't really identify as disabled it took till a certain point for you to sort of look back and and think about everything at mm. what point was that and and what kind of conclusion mm. did you come to yeah so I think it was like when I was in my late 20s when I really? um yeah a long time um I used to mentor children or young people at the children's hospital the um, chronic illness peer support program which is a program for 12 to 26 year olds um with chronic illnesses and disability and I realised that they all had these barriers um, that I was experiencing. So we might have had different diagnoses. They have diabetes or um, 
cystic fibrosis or cerebral palsy and but we all had lots of time of school found it hard to get a job all of that sort of stuff um yeah in the book you explore your frustration with being offered magic Mm. cures by strangers on the internet who pretend to know more about ichthyosis than you do yeah yeah how does it feel for others to presume that? <laughs> presume that you don't, with your team of dermatologists and your team of medical professionals, don't know more about your condition than they do? Mm. Um, yeah, it's. I, I get it in the street. You know, like I get people asking me if I'd like to try their whatever cream in the street. And one day at work, when I was in the government, there was this man that came up to me that, like, I, I worked in this very big team that had. Um, versions of my role in in every office so we had this big meeting one day and I'd never met him before he was a lot older than me and he um we had a chat and, and he asked me what I did outside of work and I said I'm a writer and I said um he's like oh what do you write about I thought oh I, I don't really want to go into it now but I just said I um, like I write about health stuff he goes oh wow I work in health too I'm like, right. Anyway, so I said, oh, great. So he um, then I got back from lunch and I found these pamphlets on my desk about stem cells, um, like stem cell tablets or something. And anyway, so I actually, uh, I was reading them and it, and it had this really funny thing about like making your skin look 10, 10 years younger. And I thought, well, my skin already looks 10 years younger because it constantly <laughs> sheds in the news anyway, which I found really humorous. And I actually um, rang our like manager to say, hey, this guy has just sent me this stuff, put this stuff on my desk, like presuming that I need it, presuming he can sell it to me. And then he rings me and he says, oh, so I've been researching your condition. Um, how do you pronounce it? And I thought, oh, God. And then he asked me to speak at one of his conferences. And but I, and the payment would be these, these stem cell tablets. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was at the time when I was just sort of, you know, forging a speaking career. And, and I, I told him I was going to charge $500, which was at the time quite expensive for me. Um now I wouldn't charge much more, uh, and and he and he goes, oh no no, we could only pay you in pills. And I said, but I can't take these pills because I don't know what's going to happen. And he's like, oh no no, they're safe. They're safe for people with eczema. I said, but I don't have eczema. You don't. You've only just found out about <laughs> it's my a genetic condition. condition. <laughs> yeah, you just found out about it last night. You don't even know how to pronounce it. And then um, so we had this really silly conversation. And because you know you're bound by the code of conduct, I couldn't just tell him to fuck off. But we had to have this whole conversation. And then I said to him, look. I once had some pain in my ears from flying and the pharmacist who I trust, who has gone through a degree to become a pharmacist, prescribed me some or recommended me some over-the-counter tablets and then that made my skin very, very sore. Do you think I am going to take your pills when you've probably just done some marketing course, you know, with some cult? Anyway, I didn't tell him that. But, you know. <laughs> um, so there's that. There's constantly having to argue that I know more and I'm finding more and more and um, – as people are selling things like I don't know, I think it's called Unique, Unique uh, online and and um, Roads and Fields products. I'm going to name them. Like yeah, you know, I think it's Roads and Fields. Um, even um, oh, what's the other one? Anyway, they're, they're constantly um, or DoTerra uh, constantly doing these multi-level marketing um, schemes and when I use hashtags to identify myself as having ichthyosis or skin condition which is so that other people with those conditions can find me that's that's it's not for the benefit of multi-level marketers um, it's it's to be visible and it's to be findable um, 
I get a lot of people messaging me going, hey, I'm a Rosen Fields consultant and I've got some creams for you. And <laughs> and then when I come back with an answer and then like my followers will get onto them, they're like, oh, I'm just a small-time mom, just wanting to look after my son. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm like, you wouldn't have even known ichthyosis. I've, I've got this idea for a story. I probably shouldn't tell you this on, on the air, but I've got an idea <laughs> for a story about multi-level marketing, about how I, – yeah, I want to write it. I just – You should write That'd it. I should great write it. And we have lovely <laughs> listeners who will yeah. not steal it. <laughs> <laughs> contractually obliged to not steal it. But I just, I, it's it's quite ridiculous that people think that they know more about it than me and that, that some oil might just um, cure Cannabis oil. Cure it. Yeah, oh, yeah, cannabis oil. Um, there's a lot of stories in the news about ichthyosis and cannabis oil. And one, cannabis oil is not legal yet in Australia. Um, I, I've also talked to my um, my pain management specialist about it. I, talk, I, I go to the pain management clinic once a year and I talk to them about it. And I said, what, like, will it take away the pain? Because apparently people tell me it does and I think when people self-medicate it's a little with cannabis it's a little bit different to having prescribed things because they're doing it on the sly and and they're finding what works for them Mm. and I'm so anti-drugs I wouldn't do that and I don't don't particularly want to smoke because that'll just harm everything anyway Mm. but the doctor said that there's not enough research about cannabis oil to prove that it's going to help me so I'm not I'm just going to use what I've been prescribed but I I joked in the book that I am tagged in a post about uh, cannabis and ichthyosis like, every week and it's just false news because it is a genetic condition the cannabis oil isn't going to take the redness away it's not going to cure the condition it's not going to leave me without ichthyosis it might alleviate the pain but one of my favorite themes that you discuss in different chapters at different points mm-hmm. is the idea of friendships yeah. and how when you do have a disability mm. Friendships can be difficult because you could be bullied and isolated from a young age, as mm-hmm. you were in primary school. Yeah. And then you can struggle to t- connect with, trust people, mm. form bonds with people. Mm-hmm. How has that been across your life and yeah. how do you view friendship now? Yeah. So, I mean, I think friendship was really hard as a kid. And I was talking to a friend from school yesterday who was also bullied like I was. And um, and um, we were just talking about like all the people that we remember. And I was saying how I saw these people in the, um, Melbourne Central about a year ago who really bullied me. And they were asking me what I was doing. They actually asked me if I moved down to work at Kmart. Because like, I used to work at Kmart when I was <laughs> when I was at uni, and they said, oh, "Did you come down and work at Kmart here?" And I said, "No, I'm a, I said I have I'm, my masters, <laughs> yeah, I have my masters, and I and I'm a writer." And they're like, "Oh, what are you writing?" I said, "I'm writing a book," and I said, "I'm writing a book about." being bullied <laughs> by you <laughs> just went over their head yeah um so that was really hard and I also said that it was really hard to know how to be a real friend because I didn't have the, I, you know the, the experience of friendship so you can't learn to be a friend when you haven't haven't had a friendship you know um and so it took me a long time but I think going to university going you know working at Kmart really helped so that you know probably 20 you know 20 years ago I felt like I had real friends it took a long time took until I was about 17 Uh, you know I had a few friends on and off but even even then you know that there was still that um level of exclusion people don't want to be seen with the person that looks different um but now I feel like I I meet a lot of people on the internet Mm. that's how I meet a lot of my friends and a lot of people with um with disability as well, who um, you just you know identify with, and um, they just know you know that they just know or empathise what you're going through, so that can be great. I think one of the hard things is um, often some diagnoses or some impairments have um, mean that you have a, a shorter chance at life, which is really hard. So people die prematurely before they should, you know, 
Yeah, so that can be really hard. Mm. Mm. I imagine social media for you is a massive double-edged sword then because you are meeting a lot of great people and a lot of like-minded people and then you're also copying... (laughs) The brunt of a heap of other stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I think and there's an expectation to always be on. Um, yeah. I just went off at someone actually the other day. They messaged me in the morning. I had a lot of people that haven't said thank you. Just say thank you. It's really easy to say thank you. Um, you know, asking me to do something like, hey, Carly, my baby's got ichthyosis. What do I do? So I say, I don't want to give medical advice, but here's a Facebook group you should deal with. Um, you should join rather. Here's something I wrote. And like, there's no thank you. And I actually wrote back, hey, I've just offered you advice. Like the first thing I did when I got up was reply to your message and you can't even muster a thank you. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that can be hard. It can be. So we finish the, the episode in the same way mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. We would love to know the, the women in your life or the women that you look up to that you mm. admire um, because we are always looking for <laughs> amazing people to follow. And what's next on the horizon for you? What's what I mean, what's planned for the year? Yeah, sure. So women that I admire, um, oh, there's so many of them. Um, I really love um, Michelle Roger, who does a great um, initiative called Up and Dressed, Up and Dressed, and um, she is a disabled woman who posts great fashion stuff. And she was involved in Access to Fashion last year with me. Um, that's just, I think she's just Michelle underscore Roger on Instagram. Um, I really like um, my best friend uh, Curly Pops, who is quite sick at the moment, and she does a lot of sewing and has really cute dog photos, and she does amazing work around transplant and cancer. Um, so follow her. Um, Although don't send her messages. That's my public announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. Also, people like Alice Wong, who runs the Disability Visibility Project in America. She's incredible. Um, Kia Brown, who's an amazing woman of colour, disabled woman. Um, Valissa Thompson, who another woman of colour, disabled woman. Amani Barbarin, who created that hashtag, um, things disabled people know. Um, she's great. Um, oh, Eliza Hull, who did that amazing podcast on the ABC called We've Got This around disabled parenting. Um Jess Walton, who has just written for the catering show. She's incredible. She does really great things on Twitter. Um, Who else? So many people. You've got this list. Yeah, yeah, there's actually a list in the back. People probably think that Carly was just reading off Um, a list, and that was literally (laughs) off the top of her head. But there is a. Just look in my um, acknowledgements in the book. You know what we'll do? You can go and find people. We'll put that entire list in our recommendations newsletter for people that you can go and follow in the disability space. Yeah, and put. yeah, and there was, there's heaps of suggested resources in the back of the book too. And if if you read my whole um, thank you thing in the back, there's heaps of people as well. Great. We'll definitely um, put some of those women in our newsletter. Yeah, great. For sure. And what is next on the horizon? Well, I am in the middle of book tour, which is fun. It's actually quite fun. Are you sick of talking about um, yourself? No, not really. I like it. Own it. Not at all. Um, you know, I haven't written a book for no one to read it. So completely. Um, yeah. So doing that. Um, oh, what else? Um, I think. I have got a lot on um, with this book and with other stuff, and I just want to. I think I just want to have a rest. Need a holiday. Go on a holiday. holiday. I just went on a holiday. I know, but go on another one. <laughs> you can never take too many the holidays. Limit does not right? exist. We only get holidays at the end of the year at Melbourne Fringe, so yeah. I'm, I'm waiting 11 months. <laughs> oh, actually, no, there is something more. I am editing Growing Up Disabled in Australia. <gasps> And um, that is a book that I uh, that's an anthology by Black Ink Books. So Black Ink do um, a whole series of growing up books. Um, I was asked to write for Growing Up African, as I said before, and I pitched Growing Up Disabled, and they said yes. So we are seeking submissions until May, until 31st of May. Um, I want heaps of disabled people to submit, like all diverse people, old, young, um, 
lots of different impairments, lots of different experiences. So I know we've got about 20 submissions so far, so that's really exciting. Amazing. Um, and I will be reading every one of them and choosing who will be in it. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. That's yeah. amazing. And our listeners can pick up a copy of your book at any good bookstore. From the 29th. From the 29th. Um, and it is available um, to pre-order now, carlyfindlay.com.au slash say hello. You know where to find her. Yeah. <laughs> Carly, you have been so amazing to thank speak you. with and we cannot thank you enough. I know you said before about not thanking each other. We oh. are so appreciative. <laughs> thank you. We are so, oh, yeah. so, so appreciative you. of you making the time because you've got a lot on and you didn't need to speak to a small podcast like us. But oh, you're not. You're we're, we're pretty small and it's a Saturday as well so we dragged you out here oh, on a Saturday sorry. so we could not appreciate you more. <laughs> thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this In Conversation episode of Shameless. If you loved Carly as much as we did, you can follow her on Instagram at Carly Finlay. We also really highly recommend her new book, Say Hello, which is in all good bookstores now. As for us, find Zara and I in the Facebook group, as always, Shameless Podcast Community, or on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We will be back in your ears next Monday. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.